This podcast is brought to you by Keiko New Energy, one of the world's largest manufacturers of solar inverters. Keiko has 850 employees, offices in 16 countries, and offers inverters for PV systems of every size. Whatever you're looking for, you can find it with Keiko. To find out more about its products, click on over to keiko-newenergy.com. For the week of March 5th, 2015, this is the Energy Gang from Green Tech Media. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Lacey, a senior editor with Green Tech Media and your host. Normally I'm in DC recording with Jigger and Catherine, the other two members of my gang. But by the time you listen to this, I'll be in South Africa for a little rest and relaxation. I know it's too early in the year for vacation, but I'm doing it anyway. The Energy Gang will be back to normal the week of March 16th. Until then, I want to play a roundtable discussion I hosted here in Washington a few weeks ago at a Pew Charitable Trust event. I was joined by two astute journalists based here in D.C., Monica Trousey of e e News and uh, Kate Shepard of the Huffington Post, to talk about all the ways Congress could address energy in 2015 and in 2016 moving into the election season. There's a lot of really great insight here, so take a listen. It is worth it. And we will catch back up with you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy. Normally at this point, I would say that the discussion is over because Congress isn't going to be doing anything this year. But it appears that uh, there's a lot on the table for the 114th Congress, and uh, we're going to talk about what is on the table, what actually might move forward, and what would be left on the table uh, in 2015. I think it's really helpful for us to think about where we've come since the last time Congress came together and passed an wide-ranging energy bill, and that was uh, in 2007. Of course, we had the stimulus package after that, but that was uh, much part of a much broader package um, that included energy. And if many in this room will recall that um, in 2007, that bill included the renewable fuel standard, which uh, that, that was when we had a lot of excitement and hype around uh, biofuels, uh, both conventional ethanol and advanced biofuels. Uh, we passed energy efficiency standards for a wide range of efficiency standards for buildings and uh, an update to fuel economy standards. And that was seen as a big win for the clean energy industry. Um, But so much has changed since then in the last seven years. Uh, Fracking has made America the number one liquid fuels producer in the world. And I think back in 2007, very few people uh, saw just how much oil and gas we'd be producing in this country. Um, America has become far more energy efficient, so we're now divorcing GDP growth from petroleum consumption, which is uh, you know, a landmark development that I don't think can be understated. Uh, wind and solar on the electric grid have grown substantially, and while they're still a small part of the electricity mix, certainly gaining more political power here in Washington and on the state level in particular. Of course, not... Uh, wielding as much power as some of the other energy industries, but certainly far more than they did in 2007. And then meanwhile, uh, climate scientists have stepped up in the last seven years their uh, warnings for uh, the impact of carbon pollution. And back in 2007, if you recall, most of mainstream Republicans accepted the uh, scientific consensus that humans were causing climate change. And today we have a 
most mainstream Republicans are not really willing to talk about the issue publicly or um, have dismissed the scientific consensus. And then amidst all of this change, you have a president who in his second term is making energy and environmental issues a top priority and is willing to use his executive authority to do so, and you now have a Republican-controlled Congress that is willing to combat him on most of those issues going forward. So that sets up the picture of what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those conflicts and uh, what that means for both the White House priorities and, and what may actually move forward in Congress. Uh, so again, we have Monica Trousey here, who is the managing editor and host of E&E TV, part of E&E Publishing. Monica, good to see you. Good to see you, too. And Kate Shepard, who is the energy environment editor at the Huffington Post and uh, writes a lot herself, along with being an editor. How are you, Kate? Good. Thanks for having me. So I want to break this conversation into three rough parts. We may... Um, move in and out of those parts. But in typical Washington fashion, I think we should break it up into known unknowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. So uh, the known knowns, things that are moving forward already, things that are priorities for leadership and that we're going to see some action on. Known unknowns, things that have been proposed that we're not really clear about, and unknown unknowns, the wild cards that maybe advocates or uh, have thrown out there and they want to see as priorities, but we really just don't know. So the known known, I think the first one we should talk about is Keystone XL. And we saw the recent uh, Senate vote on the Keystone, the bill approving Keystone XL. Kate, you have covered that very closely. Every, every day, <laughs> again, pushing the ball up the hill. That's right, the Sisyphean uh, task covering that. Six years in the making. Um, what does the passage of that Senate bill say about Republican priorities going forward. We saw an open amendments process. I think we saw like 250 amendments originally proposed. Only a few passed with that bill. Um, what does that process say about um, priorities that Republicans want to put forward and how Republicans and Democrats may start talking on these issues? I thought two things were most interesting about the Keystone debate. One was that it was you know, Senate bill number one this year. It was the very first item they went to it the first week, spent more than almost three weeks on it. Um, and so I think that really shows you that this is like, you know, item number one for them, even though they, they know very well that Obama's going to veto it and that they wanted to really just be on the record saying that, you know, this is our priority, here we are voting on it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was, you know, just sort of an interesting symbolic movement. But I also thought it was really interesting to watch that amendment process. You know, you said that more than 200 amendments were introduced. They only voted on 41 of them, I think it was. Mm -hmm. But... There were a lot of interesting things in there that sort of showed you where things are going to go this year. Um, so a lot of things that were not necessarily really that what related to the Keystone Pipeline. So um, amendments about uh, crude exports, LNG exports, amendments about uh, delisting the lesser prairie chicken. Um, uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's just a variety of You wrote of a series on that, right? The, the I, yeah, the, the grouse, the grouse yeah, wars. The grouse wars. They yeah. never end. Um, <laughs> so I just think that you saw, um, or the, the vote about the oil spill trust fund and making yep. uh, the tar sands crude pay into that as well. So these are a lot of just sort of pieces that I think we'll see play out over the course of this year um, that you know probably are going to be attached to other things if they're not attached to a Keystone Bill. So yeah. I thought it was a good setup for the rest of this year. Yeah, absolutely. Monica, anything stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the larger question is what does this three-week-long debate sort of tee up? I mean, it, you know, the president has obviously said he'll veto the bill. Um, you know, what he then does with Keystone through his executive process remains to be seen. He very well might approve the pipeline um, and perhaps strike a deal um, on the back end if he does choose to do that. Um, but 
I think that in terms of the amendment process, we really see where some of the critical energy and environment discussions will happen. We're already hearing talk that there is um, traction on um, moving some kind of energy bill later this year, and I think that we could see a lot of those um, amendments that, that did come up um, in the discussions also make their way into a broader energy package. Yeah, there were, I, I saw some interesting quotes from uh, Lisa Murkowski after that Senate vote, and she said, wow, this is the first time we've really worked together on this issue for so long, and you look around and you see that as people offer these amendments, uh, there are things you can work with people on, and that may set up some sort of uh, discussion of an yeah. energy bill. But I just, I mean, it doesn't seem all that realistic to me, although th there probably are some things that they can work on. I just, I haven't seen any intel that makes me believe that that process will really go forward in earnest. I thought there were, two there, there were two bipartisan amendments that were affixed, and they were, you know, relatively weak, but they were both about energy efficiency. So there was that scaled-back version of Shaheen-Portman, which was really scaled back from what the original bill was, and the original bill wasn't all that aggressive, but that did, that did get affixed. And then there was one from uh, Senator uh, Collins and Warner, I believe, that was about retrofits for schools. Mm -hmm. and that, was, yep. that also got affixed. So maybe there's some agreement we can have on energy efficiency. And I also thought the, the relationship between Senator Cantwell and Senator Murkowski, who are now the chair and ranking member of the Energy Committee, was, it was interesting. I think, they, I think they actually do have a, a fairly good relationship and a productive one. And, and that committee has historically been one in which there's more bipartisan cooperation than there is in other committees. So I think that'll be an interesting relationship going forward. And I think that one of the things that um, we're hearing as, you know, sort of come out of that debate is this idea of moving perhaps a standalone LNG exports. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, that's sort of gaining more and more steam rather than attaching it to something else. There seems to be um, a desire to move forward with that. And DOE, I mean, they feel that they're moving quickly. However, they are very willing to work with Congress on it. Um, and we're, we haven't heard aggressive resistance from the Department of Energy on such a bill. And the bill would um, expedite the process. Um, I think it would give DOE 45 days after FERC finishes its environmental review of um, of an export facility to move things along. That's something we might see sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think that, I think that LNG exports for sure. I think the debate over crude exports will be really interesting. Um, Senator Cruz wanted to introduce a, an amendment that would have made it uh, more, more easy to export crude. Uh, he made an agreement with leadership to, to not offer that at this point in time, but leadership told him that he would get his you know, committee hearing and some discussion of it later on. And there's really interesting inter-party tensions there where you've got some Democrats who support it and some Republicans who don't. So it's another area where we'll have a productive debate, yeah. if, if not legislation. And that's a biggie for Murkowski. Right. And as chair of the committee, that's, you know. And she's been talking about that. And she was the one talking about it years ago, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. What did you make of the climate amendment from Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, which stated that the climate was changing, although it did not stipulate that humans are changing the climate. And I believe it was co-sponsored co by uh, Senator Inhofe, right? Or is he, Inhofe he, did co-sponsor yeah. that. Um, you know, a, a messaging tactic by Democrats, I think, to try to get Republicans on record. But I think uh, because it does not mention human causes and Republicans voted for it, They've kind of thrown it back in the Democrats' faces. Any, any comments on the politics behind that or the significance of that, that uh, amendment? Well, <laughs> you had to watch out. There was this whole series of votes, right? There was a vote on Sheldon Whitehouse's amendment that said climate change is real and not a hoax. And that got 98, 98 votes passed. Mm -hmm. 
was it was fixed. Jim Inhofe, Jim Inhofe jumps on board and says, "I'm going to co-sponsor because I think the hoax is that humans are causing it, right. not that it's real." So you know that sort of gave them this way out of just saying it's real, but who knows why it's happening? Yeah. Uh, so they passed that one. Uh, they couldn't get enough votes to pass uh, similar amendments that said it was caused by human activity or that it was significantly caused by human activity. Uh, John Hoven introduced one that said just that mm -hmm. it was caused by human activity. Uh, that would have passed, but then John Hoven changed his own vote to vote against his own amendment right. so that it couldn't be a fix. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had the third vote on Senator Schatz's amendment, which said that it was significantly caused by human activity. And you had Senator Mikowski come to the floor and say that her problem was with the word significantly. Uh, so that also, that, that did not get enough votes to be attached to the amendment. So there was sort of this like, Message votes in which, you know, sort of layers of trolling going on here. The Democrats <laughs> wanted to put the Republicans on record. The Republicans wanted to make the Democrats look bad. Uh, I mean, I, it was a whole lot of theater. Uh, I don't really know that it means that much in the grand scheme of things, yeah. but uh, I think it sort of shows you where they're going to have these sort of talking points yep. repeatedly. I think bigger picture, just rewinding a bit, the fact that the full Senate spent three weeks on anything, I mean, and, and <laughs> something like this, which was you know, a guaranteed veto, I think there's significance just in that. Um, you know, I think um, Republicans definitely wanted to mark a little territory yep. from the very beginning. Um, and you even saw Harry Reid yesterday apologizing uh, for the fact that so much time was spent, that the Senate spent so many taxpayer dollars and so much time on Keystone. Yeah. Well, um, it says a lot about uh, uh, Senator McConnell's uh, style, and then we might see more open amendment process and see a much more debate on these issues than was uh, under Harry Reid. Um, so let's go to EPA regulations. This is also a known known. Uh, the uh, EPA is uh, missing some deadlines on crafting its, its uh, final regulations, but... Uh, how will this play out in Congress? Um, we could either see it play out legislatively in the courts, or we could see them try to uh, strip funding and strip regulatory authority through spending bills. How, any intel on how that might play out? Um, what, what do you think is the most likely course for this battle? I mean, I think we'll see it play out on both, both fronts, ends, yeah. for sure. Um, I think... Uh, the legal battles will be really interesting to watch, and they'll be incredibly aggressive. I mean, there are going to be straight-up attempts to, you know, demonstrate that EPA does not have the authority to move forward um, with these regulations. Um, so I actually think that the, the legal track um, is going to be the far more interesting track mm -hmm. to watch. I think Congress will, through the appropriations process, try to um, to affect things, I don't know how successful that will be. Yeah, I, I think for sure you'll see Congress try to vote on standalone measures to block the greenhouse gas regulations, whether it's using uh, Congressional Review Act or other methods that they would, might try to roll them back. Um, I am positive that a standalone measure would be vetoed by President Obama, yeah. but he's used the veto pen very seldom. Um, so we might see a whole lot of more vetoing this year if they go, through, if they go that route. I think what's more likely is they'll do that, but then they'll probably also try to fix it to spending bills. And that's often how you see more things sort of snuck in the back door or yeah. snuck in a way that's not a direct attack, but more of a stealth one where it's like prohibiting the agency spending on specific things. So, I mean, we always see things snuck in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the omnibus at the end of last year, there are a bunch of different provisions stuck in there that 
you know, maybe would have been vetoed if they'd been standalone measures, but in must-pass budget situations would probably get through. Yeah. Are there concerns that you're hearing that EPA won't finish its work um, before the president leaves office? I mean, what I'm hearing is that uh, it's all hands on deck and yeah. they are um, working to hit the deadline. This is, um, you know, based on what the president said and also sort of what he's put out there, um, this is going to be his legacy. And I think that um, there's... Um, there's definitely an acknowledgement within the agency that this needs to happen and needs to happen correctly. Um, and they're working. And yes, they had to push back a, a couple of deadlines um, to buy themselves a little more time. Um, but they know that president's leaving office at the beginning of 2017, and they want to make sure that to have all of their um, you know, loose ties tied up by yeah. then. And they're, I know they're very busy over in the air office, especially. That's where a lot of these big rules are coming from. And I'm sure the legal office will be very busy this year as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I, they have put quite a bit on their plate for these last two years. I mean, it's not just the clean air rules. It's the ozone rules. You know, now they have the coal ash rules, which just came out in, in December. I mean, I'm sure there'll be legal fights over that as well. So it'll be a busy two years yeah. for sure. We saw the president release his budget this week, which included $4 billion to help states that are progressing on creating their own uh, state-level CO2 reduction plans. So uh, we'll see if that actually uh, goes forward, but certainly the administration is trying to uh, provide as much financial assistance as possible to get states that might be skeptical to act on this. And they've also requested um, a boost in funding for EPA. Yeah, a modest boost, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, so I think the, the final known known is that uh, we're going to see some action on taxes. And that could either be tax extenders or tax reform, which I think is a lot more uncertain. Um, do you think that we will see just some individual tax, tax extension legislation, or will that bleed into a broader tax reform conversation? The tax extenders element is interesting. The, you know, the president in his State of the Union address um, uh, made it very clear that the wind and solar industries are doing very well um, and have become leaders. Uh, I've spoken to some analysts who feel that um, that was actually a retraction from support of or aggressive support and lobbying for an extension of the PTC. Um, of course, it's supported, but will that be a major focus of this White House to get Congress to extend it? Um, you know, I mean, analysts all have different opinions on it, um, but it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the, the movement and the support level is for the extension of um, the production tax yeah. credit. Um, the president wants to see a permanent production tax credit. And his budget, that's what he called for, the permanent investment tax credit for solar and PTC for wind. So, Yeah, I think, there, I think there might be an opening for a conversation about something that is a longer term, but maybe not as high of incentives. Um, and I think that might meet the president's desires, but also some of the realities in Congress right now. But I, I think it'll probably end up in a larger tax discussion. It's very hard, I think, to have these as anything as a standalone these days. So Yeah. You have a lot of firepower against the PTC right now as well. Certainly a lot of people in the solar industry are gearing up for that fight around the investment tax credit, which will expire at the end of 2016. 
Um, you know, does, does the president's call for, you know, permanent PTC and ITC will never happen, but does him weighing in on the issue influence the debate in Congress at all, or is that sort of a, a meaningless call? <laughs> Well, there's, there's some people in Congress who anything Obama likes to hate, so yeah. uh, I don't know if that helps. But then you, I think especially on, on wind, you have really, you know, the people from very Republican states who are very much supportive of wind power, Kansas and Iowa and places that have seen the reality of it. So I think you get more interesting political dynamics than just Republican Democrat yeah. uh, on this issue. Yeah. Uh, more than anything, I think the industry, the wind industry needs consistency and um, you know, pro some projects are getting developed without the PTC, so that perhaps speaks to the industry long-term being able to survive without the production tax credit. Certainly, I mean, the average price per kilowatt hour for wind is two, two and a half cents right now, I think. Um, so uh, there is, a, you know, a, quite a robust debate, not just within um, political circles, but in the industry itself. You know, can the does the industry really need the PTC? And I'm sure a lot of uh, people in the wind industry in here are grumbling about that, but... Um, it's, it's something that the solar industry is starting to grapple with as well. I um, interviewed Tom Kiernan, who heads up um, the wind energy, energy yeah. industry trade group uh, last week. It was right after State of the Union. Um, and he did say that in order for the industry to stay the world leader, that the PTC will be needed. Um, and so that, that you know, is an ongoing debate. And then it becomes a question of being able to convince Congress that that's actually um, the case. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I speak to say that just pushing for another short-term extension of the PTC just doesn't do any good for the industry. And you either need a long-term phase-out or just get rid of it to provide some sort of investment uh, consistency so that people can work around that change. And just the single, the yearly extensions are extremely tough for the industry. Um, so, known unknowns, right? I, now that we're talking about taxes, uh, Paul Ryan has indicated that he wants to undertake broader tax reform, perhaps corporate tax reform. Uh, he said he's willing to work with the president and Democrats on this, but it's sort of uncertain where they're going to come together and anybody's guess how this will unfold. Um, people were talking about tax reform last year. Uh, we've seen a number of proposals come out, um, but still it's very squishy conversation do you get the sense that tax reform will will paul ryan will make this a, a priority it's a pretty steep hill to climb to sort of bridge that gap between um what his congressional counterparts would be looking for and what the white house might be looking mm -hmm. for um but i think he legitimately would like to move something um but i think his biggest challenge is going to be the details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he's serious about it, but I mean, what the politics of how that will play out are, are still unclear. In his New York Times interview this weekend about the president's budget, he first said, I don't think anyone wants to go out after entitlement reforms. And then he said, first thing we're going to do is go after Social Security. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on how much other things get injected into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, certainly the clean energy industries will be working to push tax extensions into that broader tax reform conversation if they can. Um, the, we talked a little bit about the Senate efficiency bill, which I think is another uh, interesting thing that may happen on energy. We, we saw pieces of that passed as part of an amendment in the Keystone bill. Um, 
any sense from Senator Shaheen or Portman that they want to do something bigger on this? What's interesting with that is every time it, it comes up or it's attached, um, it gets watered down. Yeah. And um, anyone... Well, you know, when, I mean, the Heritage Foundation stopped uh, opposing it. So you know <laughs> that when that happens, that there's really no teeth to it. Right. Well, but the thing is, when, whenever you speak to anyone on the Hill, I mean, you would be hard-pressed to find um, folks who don't agree that this is a low-hanging fruit, um, that, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer and there's not that much controversy associated with it. Um, but yet it it's sort of kind of always has a little trouble moving, and when it is attached to something, it's extremely watered down. And it had enough votes to pass, I think, in its original... In, in whatever incarnation, um, uh, it got you know bogged down in other fights about the Keystone. <laughs> well, first, first it was I think it was first Obamacare, and then it was Keystone, and then it was Obamacare again, and you know all these other things kept coming up as the thing that we were actually fighting about, and it wasn't the efficiency bill. And everyone says, oh, but we really like the efficiency bill. This is nothing against the efficiency bill. We like that little bill, um, and so they you know it kept getting watered down, and it still faced the same uphill battles, <laughs> and now it's being attached to Keystone again. So yeah. um, I think I think that there's probably actually is enough support to pass something that is stronger and looks more like the original Shaheen Portman bill. But the question is, is there appetite to make that a priority? Yeah, I mean, I think Keystone is a ghost that haunts a lot of these pieces of individual legislation. And I mean, it could very well be tied on to the energy efficiency legislation yet again. Uh, And it really depends on how Republicans want to message on that bill. So while everyone you talk to supports it in theory, it really depends on the amendments attached to it. And, you know, we've seen it happen twice and I would bet that it probably happens a third time. Um, interestingly, uh, I, you know, I've, a lot of people on the right are calling for a potential increase uh, in the gas tax to fund the Highway Trust Fund. Now is the, um, the opportunity, they say, because gas prices have dropped precipitously. Uh, this is a conversation that I mean, we haven't raised the gas tax since 1993 or 1994, something like that. Uh, They're proposing, I think, around 12 to 13 cent gas tax. That's what I've seen floated around. Um, You know, although I I haven't seen any, I've seen a lot of posturing in the press, but I haven't seen any serious legislative efforts around this. So I'm, I'm sort of uncertain about whether this will happen, even though we've seen a lot of influential Republicans come out in favor of it. I mean, I'm hearing that expectations for passage are minimal. Yeah. But Senator Inhofe has... Yeah, said surpri- that he would we'll indicated a vote will happen. Yeah. A user fee, he calls it. That's what he says. That he, he believes that Republicans should rally around it if they call it a user fee. <laughs> it's not a tax. It's not <laughs> <laughs> I think it actually would be a really interesting time to start talking about alternatives that, are, you know, that, are, that would fund the highway system, but maybe uh, are like based on mileage per gallon, or you know, maybe it's based on how many miles are traveled rather than a straight gas tax. But I don't know if you know, we're actually going to get that this year, but I think there's some people in the House are talking about interesting alternative solutions. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think, I think people in the press like to talk about it mm-hmm. more than people in Congress actually like to do anything about it. Yeah. Have any of you followed uh, potential movement on an infrastructure bill? Or, you know, the president said, well, let's not focus on Keystone XL. Let's look at a broader infrastructure bill to create long-term jobs. And I, I mean, I get the sense that perhaps they'd want to uh, put some things in for public transit and um, a lot of the things that uh, the president might support. I had interviewed um, Peter DeFazio, who's mm-hmm. the ranking member of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and he said, you know, the chair of the committee supports 
you know, moving some broader measure. Um, you know, I support it. We just can't agree on how to pay for it. You know, are you, um, are you spending taxpayer dollars or are you making an investment in the future of the United States? And that's what it comes down to because transportation and infrastructure has largely been bipartisan uh, and historically been bipartisan. Um, and so how to pay for things is really the key sticking point. Yeah. One of the, you have in the Obama budget just released yesterday, one of the ideas he has in there is that they have this break for companies bringing um, in revenues back from over, overseas yeah. and paying a one-time tax on it. And I think that the idea in there was that you would use that 14% that tax or whatever the number was to fund infrastructure. Yep. Um, so that's a different solution. I mean, it, this just came out yesterday, so I think a lot of people are looking at it, but maybe there's opportunities for collaboration uh, on that issue. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that, that kind of concludes the known knowns and known unknowns that I had laid out. And I think that there's, you know, there's clearly a lot of priorities here. So we're, Keystone XL is going to play a huge role in all of this for unrelated pieces of legislation and for Republican messaging. Um, and I think we'll put the president in a, in a tough messaging spot as well. Um, certainly EPA regulations, top priorities, but very uncertain how that will go forward and if Republicans will be able to stop it in any way through the appropriations process. Um, tax extenders, I think the biggest fight right now that is relevant to the people in this room, uh, most likely. And then, of course, you have the broader tax reform, something around efficiency. Uh, God knows what will be tied to it in the gas tax and the, the infrastructure bill. Uh, you know, what is your broad sense that we'll get something done beyond just talking about, you know, yearly tax extensions? I mean, do you feel confident that many of these will, will have good discussions, uh, cross-party discussions on many of these issues that we talked about? Do you get that sense? I mean, going back to LNG exports and crude exports, I think that there will be legitimate discussions on those two items. Mm -hmm. Certainly. I think the Energy Committee will have, certainly in Senate, will have great discussions on, the, on those two issues. I think, I think Murkowski is serious about passing a larger energy package. Um, I, I don't know how serious the Republican leadership is beyond her, but I, I think that'll be something that's really talked about in committee a lot this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think efficiency will come back as something that they yeah. can find some common ground on, but it's, again, a priorities issue. Um, this is the biggest ones, and then I sort of, you know, anticipate that a lot of the measures that have passed in the House in the last few years that are trying to roll back regulations will probably get some discussion in the Senate as well, whether in EPW or an Energy Committee. Yeah, I think there might be an opportunity also for some kind of nuclear spent fuel mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. legislation, um, or at least discussions in the um, Energy Committee. Um. Yeah, I think Mur Murkowski's uh, Energy Committee is one to watch, certainly, to see what pops up in that proposed uh, broader energy bill. And I think it will you know, open up more lands to drilling. Uh, we'll probably see something on LNG exports, probably something on efficiency, and certainly they'll deal with tax extenders. So there are a variety of ways that Congress will be dealing with these issues, and um, you know, I think a few different avenues. So the unknown unknowns. We've, he we've heard some... Although many in Congress won't touch it, some prominent Republicans outside of uh, politics are talking about a carbon tax. You know, most famously Bob Inglis, who's really former South Carolina congressman who's really championed a carbon tax since leaving office. Um, 
any sense that there will be real discussions on that in, in, over the next couple of years. It's funny because even when I look back to um, the cap-and-trade days when um, Congress was attempting to move cap-and-trade legislation, most people I would talk to off camera would say, well, a carbon tax obviously makes a lot more sense, um, but it just will never move. Um, and I think that that's the same case today. Um, many people acknowledge that it makes sense, it's workable, but it's a tax and it has no legs. I think it's another one that all of us in the press like to talk about a yep. lot more than people in Congress. Totally. <laughs> and I think it's, again, I, agree. I think like Monica said, like everybody will acknowledge, you know, that it's a better idea and they like it more, and, but they'll never do anything to make yep. it happen. It comes up perennially as like maybe part of a larger tax package, but I just, I don't see that happening. No, but. I don't see that happening either. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the first we're going to get on that issue is an amendment saying that the climate is changing. <laughs> That's the closest we're going to get to any sort of climate uh, issue. Uh, another thing I've seen floated that uh, you know, I've heard is wildly unrealistic, but uh, people are certainly talking about it, is some sort of broader Keystone XL compromise where you throw in tax extenders, where you get uh, broader infrastructure spending, where you, and you mix them all together into a Keystone XL bill that is beneficial for clean tech and um, allows everybody to get what they want. Again, I've heard it's wildly unrealistic, but I'm just curious if you've heard anybody propose this or um, believe that Keystone, that, that that could be a route that Congress follows. I just think the Keystone debate has become about so much more than a pipeline. It's about, you know, messaging about priorities. And the Republican messaging has been that we need to build this pipeline because it's really important for all these reasons. And, you know, most Democrats, I would say, have said that you know, this is a really bad thing because it's really not a great message about where this country's heading on climate change. And I just, I just see that the that message war has become so much larger than the pipeline that I don't see conceding it in a package like this, even if the net, we would have a net gain uh, for the White House if, if those things were put in together. I, don't, I just don't see that happening. I don't think anyone wants it to get passed. It's a messaging tool for right, both like parties and going into 2016. It's not passed right now. Well, and yeah. the, the thing is, even, even if President vetoes the, the bill and then he goes off and he passes you know, the pipeline on his own, um, it's still not going to go away. <laughs> you know, we're still going to have legal battles surrounding it. We will still see, um, you know, some Democrats who oppose the building of the pipeline um, commenting about it. And I, you know, I don't think that it's an issue that's going to go to bed anytime soon. Yeah. Agreed. And I think, I mean, you're seeing fights over other pipelines as well. So it's going to be a sort of ongoing issue about pipeline infrastructure. So I just don't, I don't see it resolving itself in a nice, yeah. easy package. Journalist instinct. Do you think the president will uh, approve the pipeline on his own? Yes. I do too. I change every every yeah. week. I go back and forth. I was convinced for a while that he would say no, and yeah. now I feel like he probably might say yes because he probably doesn't. I don't think he thinks it's going to be built right now, just based on the current market situation. Yeah. So I mean, he could say yes right now because he doesn't think it's actually going to happen anyway. So I don't know. Every week, ask me next week. You know, he's so interesting to watch because. Um, you know, he'll do something like, you know, propose an expansion of oil and gas development, you know, off of um, the East Coast, um, but then pair that with 
with something that is palatable to the environmental community. Um, you know, so he could very well pass the pipeline and then, you know, attach something that um, that would be palatable to to the environmentalists. Yeah. I've gotten the sense that the president has wanted to pass this, approve this pipeline for a long time, and it really is green groups uh, in the environmental base that uh, has prevented him from, from doing so. And I, I bet he would love to get this over with and, and just pass it and put it behind him. And, and I think that this actual, this, this Keystone XL, this Senate bill puts him in kind of a tough messaging spot, too, because he's voting against a lot of stuff, this, this bipartisan bill with a lot of good stuff in there, and it puts him in a, you know, a trickier spot. It broadens it beyond the, the Keystone XL pipeline. And in terms of the executive process, we are, you know, because he's always referred back to that and said, you know, we need to let this process, you know, move along as it's as needed. We need to let uh, the courts decide. And mm -hmm. we're at that point now where the, the process is, is basically a, yep. done. And, you know, we could potentially see a decision from him um, I mean, he, he could veto the bill and then the next day make a decision on the pipeline. Right, and we're within the last few weeks, I think. Yeah. Know, the agency comments were due yesterday, so yeah. there's not a whole lot of other reasons they can say that we have to wait. Yeah. yeah. Any other surprises, that, things that you're covering coming up that we haven't covered? Uh, stories on the horizon that are interesting to you that we, we might not have mentioned? And this isn't, isn't energy-related, but I... I was really interested last week in the president's executive order on um, building in floodplains and requiring federal investments to be built uh, to higher levels in acknowledgement of sea level rise being a, a threat on the coasts. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. And then yesterday in the budget, he included um, a huge increase in the amount of money going to FEMA for pre-disaster mitigation grants. So it was a really small program before. It was $25 million. He wants to up it to $200 million. I still think that's not enough. But I just think there's some interesting things going on in terms of uh, climate preparation and planning um, that I would like to see him find some cooperation in Congress on because to me it, it is like a you know sound investment and smart investment question. Um, so I, I think that there are some interesting things going on there that I would, I'll watch and see what happens in Congress. As Senator Ca uh, Cassidy from Louisiana has already come out and said he opposes it, but I think there's actually a lot of bipartisan cooperation on those issues that's possible. Um. For me, the dynamics of the natural gas industry um, and the fact that you have um, messaging and this idea that you know natural gas is um, this solution fuel, um, but then on the local level, you're seeing um, you know all these steps to minimize, limit fracking. Um, we also have infrastructure issues that have not been addressed. Um, and so there are pieces of the puzzle that need to be put in in order for this sort of long-term natural gas vision to actually happen. And um, there hasn't quite yet been an acknowledgement of that, um, at least politically, that there's all this stuff that's missing. Um, and so I'm, I'm watching that closely, and um, I think that that's going to be a story that, that continues to develop. Mm. And we have the ongoing methane rules yep. this year. So, you know, the administration earlier this or last month made an announcement of the targets for cutting methane from natural gas. But we actually have to see what the rules look like from EPA and then yep. also from the Department of Interior uh, for public lands. So 
uh, you're seeing pushback uh, in the industry to the, the very idea that they need these rules, but uh, we haven't seen the rules yet. So I think yeah. it'll be another fight looming in Congress, most likely. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in, in, in having this conversation. It makes you realize how many big issues we're grappling with on the fossil <laughs> side. And, I mean, the, the battles in clean energy are very, they've been going, going for a long time, and you're really looking at tax credit extensions. Um, and you know maybe some part of broader tax reform and something on efficiency and I, I the, the, looking at the scope of issues there's a lot more related to fossils than renewables for the time being looking forward at uh, elections coming up we see a number of vulnerable republicans in the senate so we could potentially see the senate flip back to democratic control uh, is there a lot of pressure to get something done it's considering that Republicans could potentially be vulnerable in a couple of years? I think there, I think there is pressure to do things, <laughs> to, get to, to show that they're acting. I think that's a, little, a lot of the reason we had this ongoing amendment process on the Keystone Bill, because they, they I mean, every time they talked about it, they'd say, like, look at us, we're back at regular order, we're having right. amendment votes, like, we're, like, we're so proud of ourselves, we're having <laughs> votes on amendments. Uh, they kept emphasizing that point, even almost as much as they're emphasizing how much they thought that the bill itself was important. Yeah. Uh, so I think that really is a demonstration of trying to at least show that they're, you know, you know working toward um, policy solutions. Uh, I will be really curious to see how long that process stays yeah. open. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had Senator McConnell saying, uh, I, I want to open amendment process, but not an unlimited one. So, you know, how long he'll, like, sort of let that sort of freewheeling process go uh, remains to be seen. But I do think that's sort of evidence of the fact that they want to be seen as, you know, legislating. It's all about teeing things up for 2016. Yeah. You know, I mean, not only um, is the Senate potentially vulnerable for, to a flip, but the White House is as well. And so I think it's all about getting the messaging right for either side, for Democrats and Republicans, um, to shape things for yeah. 2016. Uh, going back to your point, Kate, I was kind of amused at uh, all the, the reactions I saw from lawmakers who were just so excited that they could debate amendments and that they were working together on something. Like, never mind that it was a dead-end bill that you know, had a veto threat attached to it. <laughs> they were just excited that something was happening, and it just goes to show you how frozen things have been. Yeah, it's also funny, in, I mean, in the press gallery, I mean, I've been in D.C. for uh, eight years, and I, I kind of, like, an open amendment process was really exciting. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people in the gallery were like, I forget how this works. Like, what, like, what are the rules about yeah, amendments? Yeah. <laughs> how do you amend an amendment? Yep. Yeah, so. So you'll be uh, spending a lot more time on Capitol Hill then? For better or worse. Do. Yeah, yeah, for better or <laughs> worse. Um, okay, so we're, we're running out of time here. How about... Um, it's kind of a curveball here. What are your favorite stories to cover in energy politics or policy? And uh, what's your least favorite? Keystone's my least favorite. Yeah, if, uh, every journalist <laughs> says that. Yeah. Everyone says that. It's been going on for six it's years now. And it's just a, yeah. I've run out of new things to write about it. Yes. That's the problem. Um, I mean, my well, you had the grouse story. The, <laughs> There's the grouse, but I've, read, I've been writing about the grouse for a while, too. Yeah. Um, I favorite stories right now, I think, for me, are looking at the state level and what's happening there. So I've been covering a lot of the solar net metering fights yep. in the states. Um, I'm looking at sort of attempts to roll back energy efficiency bills at the state level. Some really interesting things going on there, um, and actually has potential to do a lot of damage if you know if, if oh, those absolutely. things are. Oh, absolutely. 
so I, I, I find those more interesting than Washington right now. Uh, I, I agree. Um, for me, clean power plan mm -hmm. um, and how the states are responding and potentially preparing um, for the regulations, um, you know, what, what the various options are for compliance. Um, we're hearing indications that the agency will make some significant changes to uh, targets and potentially to tweaks to the building blocks. Um, and, you know, what those changes are, that'll be interesting to watch, but then also um, how the states are able to plug into that. Yeah. I think it's also on the Clean Power Plan, it's interesting to watch states who maybe publicly have said, you know, we don't like the Clean Power Plan, we don't want to do it, but then behind the scenes are actually offering pretty productive comments about mm -hmm. how it could be reshaped to be more workable. Uh, so I think there's really interesting dynamics there. Mm -hmm. And I'm um, looking at the clock here, and it looks like we are out of time. Uh, please thank Monica Trousey and Kate Shepard. Uh, and I'm Stephen Lacey of Green Tech Media. Thank you very much for inviting us here.